Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi. Welcome to Remote Controlled, Variety's TV podcast. I'm Deborah Birnbaum. Every week, we'll bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. On today's episode, we're talking with famed anthropologist Jane Goodall about the Nat Geo documentary Jane, which has been nominated for an Emmy Award. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Deborah Burbaum, and it's my pleasure to be here with Jane Goodall. Good to meet you. <laughs> Good to meet you, too. Um, this documentary was really just so tremendous. I know you've had a few done before. What was it about this one that compares for you? What made it different? I think it's because uh, you get the the feeling of how it was when I was first there, and it unraveled slowly the gradual habituation of the chimpanzees, and also having my voice uh, instead of some commentator who really didn't know anything about it. I think all of those things, and Hugo's, you know, his photography was brilliant and careful, and so it just took me right back and then as the film moves on getting to see those chimpanzees whom I came to know so well and of course I knew all of those who were pictured not just the ones who were named in the film and so it really was a memory lane for me. How did it feel for you to go down that memory lane to revisit this footage? It was nostalgic Um, it was revisiting uh, probably the best days of my life. Really? What was your reaction when you first found out that they'd found this footage? I mean, I know it was basically not technically lost, but just not available. What was your reaction when you found out that they discovered it again? Well, when they asked if I was interested in making a retrospective, I said, oh, not another one. Come on. <laughs> We've had so many films of Jane and the Chimps. And they said, oh, but, but you won't have to have anything to do with it. Uh, it's just, you know, be a three-hour interview. And because the Jane Goodall Institute was really keen on getting this out, getting more PR, I said, oh, all right, you know, three hours, that's that's fine. How many hours did it turn out to be? Three days. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I arrived and I saw the huge crew, it was over 30 people, and the, the set that had been uh, crafted, you know, renting these tall, like, banana trees and other tall trees they sell them along the side of the road but um, Brett and his team had actually rented them and set it up so it looked like a forest and recreated the it it was just completely amazing I took one look and thought "Hmm, three hours no way (laughs) what happened over the course of those three days how intense did the interviews get well the interviews were very intense Um, but you know gradually because I hadn't met Brett before I hadn't met any of them before. Really? No, none of them. So yes, I'd met. Um, I'd met. No, I hadn't met any of them. And uh, so gradually, we got more at ease with each other. And you know, my mother always said, 
one of the things I never forget, she said, if you're going to do something, do it properly. So there was no question, well, I only thought it was going to be three hours. I'm in it now, so I'll give it all I've got. What was your first impression of Brad as a filmmaker? I, I, I didn't get through to him, or he to me, straight away. And he had this, you know, crazy question like, did I use sun cream? <laughs> it just seemed such an odd, an odd thing to ask. It wasn't part of the interview, but I thought, well, who, who, you know. But then yesterday, um, this woman came up to me and she said, uh, did you have a bodyguard? I said, what? She said, well, I assumed that. You said you were frightened of leopards, so I assumed there was somebody with you all the time with a gun guarding you. And I said, what? How did she watch the documentary and walk away with that? I simply... Uh, some people are strange, aren't they? <laughs> I don't know. But I think that's what you know really took me back. It was so remarkable. I kept saying, you, there's, you were 25, 26. You had no trepidation at all other than the leopards. Well, I'd always wanted to be with animals in Africa ever since I was 10. Or probably 8, because I read Dr. Doolittle and then Tarzan. And so... It was it was like my dream come true, and the only awful problem was the chimps ran away. And so, although I was living in my dream, there was always we only had money for six months at that time. And if I didn't see something exciting before the money ran out, that would be the end. And how can you learn anything when chimps are running away from you? So thank goodness for David Greybeard, you know, the one who began to lose his fear. Why? We don't know, but they're all different. Right. And then seeing him use and make tools, that was the breakthrough. And I was really sad that my mother left just before that happened. She came out not to be a chaperone, as some people think, but because the British authorities in what was then Tanganyika, mm -hmm. you know, one of the last outposts of the crumbling British Empire, and they wouldn't take responsibility for me on my own. So mum volunteered to come, and after four months, they said, oh, well, I suppose Jane may be crazy, but it seems to be okay. <laughs> she can handle it. What was your reaction when you first saw them watching, using tools, excuse me? Well, I personally wasn't surprised, because, you know, I'd read everything there was about captive chimps. But at the same time, science believed humans and only humans used and made tools. So I knew that seeing them using and making tools in the wild was going to really startle people. Because, you know, if you pointed out that, well, in captivity they could use tools, oh, but that's, that's because they're around people and some of our intelligence must have rubbed off on them. That was the, you know, the sort of arrogant way that Sorry. science thought in those days. It's amazing that you were able to sort of see past that and then they gave you the freedom to do what you were able to do, do what you wanted to do. Well, you know, the, the, two, the two people who gave me the courage of my conviction to do what I did in the way that I did it was, first of all, my mother, who always supported my dreams and said, you're going to have to work hard and take advantage of opportunity, but don't give up. And... When I, you know, Leakey made me get a degree eventually, and he sent me to Cambridge University uh, to do a PhD, even though I'd never been to college because we couldn't afford it. And I was nervous, 
of the professors. And you can imagine how I felt when they told me I'd done everything wrong. The chimp should have had numbers, not names, that was scientific. And I couldn't talk about them having personalities, um, my, a mind capable of, of thinking, and certainly not emotions. That was the height of anthropomorphism, you know, attributing human characteristics to non-human beings. But it was my dog, Rusty, who had taught me as a child that in this respect, these professors were completely wrong. What did you learn from Rusty? I learned that we're not the only beings who have personalities, minds and feelings. And of course, I had other animals when I was a child. They all teach you that. You know, we had two guinea pigs, my sister and I. They were totally different from each other, behaved differently. Even tortoises. <laughs> you mentioned that you were always interested in animals. Was that something your mother encouraged in you? Well, she didn't. I mean, she tells me that when I was one and a half, I was already watching spiders and worms and things. And when I was one and a half, she came into my room. I don't remember this. Mm-hmm. And I'd taken all these earthworms into my bed, of course, with earth. And, you know, so many mothers would have been angry and messing up the bed. She just said, Jane, if you leave them here, they'll die. They need the earth. And so we carried them back into the garden. So it was that support. She supported my love of animals. She didn't get mad when I had been lost for four and a half hours. And they'd even called the police and it was getting dark. Where were you? We'd gone for a holiday in the country onto a farm. And um, I'd been given the job of collecting the hen's eggs. And I apparently began asking everybody, but where, where's the hole on the hen where the egg comes out? And nobody told me. And I, so I saw this hen going into a hen house and crawled after, big mistake. Mm-hmm. So I went and I hid in an empty hen house. How old were you then? Four and a half. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. And I was gone for four and a half hours. Wow. And uh, so if you think about that story... Isn't that the making of a little scientist? Absolutely. Curiosity, mm-hmm. asking questions, not getting the right answer, making a mistake, not giving up, and learning patience. And a different mother might have crushed that, that all of that. Because when she saw me rushing towards the house, she must have been really worried. Mm-hmm. They called the police. It was beginning to get dark. But instead of, how dare you go off without telling us, don't you dare do it again, she saw my shining eyes and sat down to hear the wonderful story of how a hen lays an egg. And that led you to Africa? That eventually led me to Africa. That and books, and no television back then. Mm -hmm. So we used our imagination, and that's so different from children today. Well, that's what I was just going to ask you. Like, do you think that's even possible today? I mean, it was amazing what you were able to do and that you had the confidence to do it. But do you think that's possible to find in children today? Or oh, to I do. Out? Yes, no, I do. I think um, young people, when they get the right opportunity, they, they're filled with courage and enthusiasm. And, you know, I've been amazed at some young people. And that's why I work with them so much today, to sort of encourage this this spirit of adventure, curiosity, Why is that so important to you? What is the legacy you want to pass on? Well, the sad thing is that we're destroying the planet. And it's very strange. The biggest difference between us and chimpanzees is this explosive development of our intellect. 
So although chimps and other animals are way smarter than science was prepared to admit, nevertheless, I mean, you can't compare even the brightest chimp who can learn 500 signs of American sign language. Um, you can't compare that with a brain that designed a rocket that went up to Mars from which crept a robot um, which took photographs of people on this planet to see. And, you know, we've put people on the moon, for heaven's sake. We just had the anniversary of the first man on the moon. And now they're talking about touching the sun. Right. So this amazing brain, obviously we're the most intellectual being that's ever walked on planet Earth. How come we're destroying our only home and we're destroying it so fast? And, you know, it seems that we've lost the wisdom. How will the decision we make today affect people generations ahead? Now, how will it affect me now? Me and my family now, the next shareholders meeting, uh, my next political campaign, those are the criteria. And this is destroying our children's future. How do we change that conversation when there feels like, I mean, right now we're living in such an anti-intellectualism where it's just easy to sort of believe the worst thing? Well, fortunately, um, in this work with young people, it's in nearly 100 countries around the world. And we have a lot of high school, university students, but also middle school. And, you know, they're once they know what the problems are and we empower them to take action and let them choose what they want to do to make the world better, they are so passionate, dedicated, committed, and they are changing the world. So we just have to keep that up and nurture them through the difficult time when they leave academia and go out into the real world and have to try and get a job. And, you know, I meet young people crying because they want to do something for the environment, but their parents want them to make money. This is especially in Asia. Mm. And so I, I usually say, well, do what your parents want now. Get some money. And then you still have your life ahead of you. And at the same time as you're earning money, you can be working for the environment. You can think about the consequences of the little choices you make each day. What do you buy? Where did it come from? Did it harm the environment? Did it lead to animal suffering? Is it cheap because of child slave labor? All of these little things, whatever you're doing. What's the impact that you've seen on you know animals living in the wild based on you know the, the approach that science is taking right now? What's the difference you see when you go back to Africa? Uh, well, when I first went to Africa, there were animals everywhere. And now human populations have grown, which is one of the big problems on the planet. And uh, huge areas of forest have been destroyed, some of it by local people and their cattle, but a lot of it by foreign um, companies, foreign businesses with the logging and the mining. And all of this has caused huge environmental problems and we're in the middle of the sixth great extinction we're losing biodiversity it's scary it's terrifying are there things that individuals can do to make a difference yes as i say you can think about the fact that every day you live you make some impact make ethical choices in how you live try to leave a lighter ethical footprint um join the jane goodall institute um, especially roots and shoots it doesn't cost anything but become part of our global movement 
to make the world a better place. And that is what is encouraging young people because they can now, with thanks to social media, they can communicate with each other around the world. Okay, I'm passionate about palm oil, which is destroying the forests in Indonesia. And I'm feeling a bit lonely because nobody else seems to care. But, oh, wow, there's people in this country and there. And, and I suddenly have all these people who care like I do. And it's helping them a lot. Is that what you want people to take away from the documentary? I want people to take away from the documentary the fact that the natural world is so beautiful. It's so filled with wonder and awe. And the the interrelatedness of life forms in the rainforest and the chimpanzees out in the wild in their freedom with their different personalities. I just want people to come away realizing what's out there and why it's so important to try and save it before it's too late. What did you think of the finished product? Were you happy with it? Yes. Like I say, it's the the first movie that's taken me back to how I was. I loved seeing my son when he was a little baby. I'd forgotten quite how gorgeous he was. (laughs) I mean, he was utterly enchanting, wasn't he? Absolutely adorable. That little face when he jumps in the water. Mm -hmm. It's, I love it. And watching that footage too, knowing that Hugo had shot it. What was your relationship with Hugo like at that time? I mean, you can really see through his filming him falling in love with you. Did you feel the same? Yes, well, we we were perfect for each other back then. And, um, you know, it was just unfortunate that the Geographic couldn't go on funding him filming chimps forever. There was a lot for him to film on the Serengeti. And for quite a long time, I left Gombe. But I, I knew I needed to be back there. There was so much... We're still learning about the chimps after nearly 60 years. So, and now, of course, needing to try and protect them. Absolutely. I know you, you know, we talked about the other day about it. You were a little frustrated with this filming because you had to get the lighting just right. (laughs) Well, he wouldn't film. (laughs) (laughs) So there am I still um, highly, the 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 real, real scientists, highly critical of this young woman who had no degree. And there's the chimps doing something that they don't believe because I told them. And Hugo won't film it because the lighting isn't right. (laughs) I'm thinking, oh my goodness, Hugo, please film it. No, he wouldn't. And yet it all had a happy ending. It all had a happy ending. What was your son's reaction to the film? How did he feel about it? He loved it. it. And my grandchildren as well. Amazing. Yeah. How did you turn the scientific community around? Was it the film that did it? Um, That's certainly the first film that was made among the wild chimpanzees. That was the beginning. Uh, But I think my supervisor, Robert Hine, was highly respected and he's the one who super <coughs> supervised me for my PhD degree. And uh, he came to Gombe and said that experience taught him more about animal behavior than anything else in his life before. So having him on my side, as it were, and getting that PhD, that was really the beginning of turning around the opinion of most scientists. The film, too, also talks about, you know, how fame impacted this. You know, how did you come to terms with your fame and how it impacted the work that you wanted to be able to do? Well, at first I shied away. I didn't want to see journalists. Um, 
I, I really hated it because I was always very shy. But then after a bit, I thought, well, this is information that I want to share with people. And, you know, I loved writing, so I'd written a couple of books. And I think, well, if, if the journalists will talk about the books, more people will buy them, more people will understand how amazing the chimps are. So I thought, well, okay, now the media is my friend just about all of them. I, I don't meet hostile media. <laughs> Present company included. <laughs> is there you anything... don't seem very hostile. They're not very hostile. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything that you're afraid of? Anything that worries you? I'm afraid of what we're doing to the planet. I'm afraid of what some of our politicians are doing. Um, I'm afraid of the swing to the far right. There's a lot to be afraid of in the world today. And, you know, we can't fight all these battles. So what can we do? Just carry on doing what you can in your own way. And my way is to give hope to people because with no hope, you give up. There's no point. So that's why I'm 300 days a year on the road, giving lectures and interviews and um, working with, particularly with youth. Where do you get your energy? Is this just a bottomless reserve? I think, no, I think personally that there's some great spiritual power that I can get energy from. And that energy is what I give out to an audience. And then the audience gives it back. I mean, you know, you see an audience, you see them, you watch them, you see them change. You see them nodding, you see them crying. And they tell me again and again and again, You've changed my life. I'm going to do my bit, they say. What do you think, that, you know, you were such a trailblazer for women in science. What do you think the status is of women in science today? Are they able to accomplish what you're accomplished or are they still facing barriers? I think in, in it varies in different countries, very much so. Um, I think in Europe, women are having a, a much better deal but it depends on the branch of science really but certainly from when I began you know the proliferation of women in science is is huge and yeah there's still some discrimination um what do you think the biggest misconception is about you is there something you would like to people know um I don't know. You tell me what mis <laughs> what what are the misconceptions about me? I don't know. I don't think there are any. <laughs> what would it surprise people to know about you? I think most people know I I love dogs better than chimps. That does surprise some people. Chimps are too like us. Um, most people know that I like a little tot of whiskey in the evening. That's another <laughs> thing that keeps me going. Uh, a lot of people, I think one misconception, they don't realize that I have a great sense of humor. They tell me that again and again. I didn't know you were funny. <laughs> so true. You're very so, funny. So, you know, so I've always enjoyed being funny. I had a family we teased. And uh, so those things. And then, you know, going back to the woman in science and the and the inequality between men and women there's a tribe in somewhere in Latin America and I don't remember which country and they have a saying 
They believe their tribe is like an eagle and one wing is male and the other wing is female and only when the two wings are equal can the tribe fly true. It's really profound. It's wonderful and I believe it. What's next for you? Carrying on as usual. Going on around the world trying to reach more and more people trying to reach youth but trying to reach decision makers as well and trying to stop the destruction of the planet Is the current American administration responsive at all to you? Nope I'm sure individuals are when you get them individually but I mean the Trump administration is is overturning so many of the checks and balances that have been put in place by previous administrations to protect areas of wildlife and um, I'm totally shocked actually If you could talk to the president what would you say to him? Well I'm told I would have 30 seconds max to get any point across Um, and I'm not sure what I could say in 30 seconds that would make the slightest difference What would you want to say to viewers? What's the one thing that they should know? one thing that people can do that every single person on the planet makes a difference every day some people can make a greater difference than others to follow your dreams to follow your heart and think about the future thank you so much it's been a pleasure thanks for listening to this week's show We'll be back next time with another great episode. We'll be talking with Regina King about 7 Seconds and her new series, Watchmen. And if you like the show, I'd appreciate it if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Let us know, too, who you want to hear from. What stars and producers should we invite on the show? Email us at podcasts at variety.com. See you next time. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.